There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Truth and Movies Special Scary Edition. As we look at ghost stories, A Quiet Place, definition of a silent but deadly release, death-defying drama in Wonderstruck, and Thoroughbreds, best thing since sliced breads. All that plus, don't look now in our film club. It's Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Today's Little White Liars are Hannah Woodhead... Hi. Hi, Anna. You don't sound sure about that. I was like, Little White Lies? Little White Liars? Is that yeah. what you said? It's oh, a, it was, okay. a, it was, I, it I was think, a an pun. exciting nomenclature which was invented by one of our listeners. Ah. David Jenkins is also <laughs> very much in the house. Hi, hi. Excellent. That sound is David because? It's our 50th edition of the podcast. And well, still sounds as fresh as the day we started. Indeed. We're not, not listless and sour and bitter at all. Excellent. And why would we be with so many terrific films? We've got a bumper crop, actually, and not much time in the studio between you and me, listeners. So we're (laughs) going to have to fly through these a little bit. Let's start with one that I think is going to require a little bit of comment, and it's Ghost Stories. Arch-sceptic Professor Philip Goodman, played by writer and director Andy Nyman, stumbles across a long-lost file containing details of three cases of inexplicable hauntings and embarks on a terror-filled quest to uncover the truth. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Professor Philip Goodman. <laughs> I'm here today to share three apparently supernatural incidents with you, all of which seem deeply troubling. Hello? Anyone there? The spirit. The unquiet spirit. The brain sees what it wants to see. My job is to try and untangle the truth from the fiction. My job is to explain the unexplainable. How did you feel about this, Hannah? Yeah, I kind of went into it not knowing anything about it. And um, it's a very strange film. I think it's going to be one thing and then it's another thing. And I don't think it's any of the things particularly well. It was sort of an interesting premise. I think it has some really good... before. Paul Whitehouse is fantastic in it. And he was like the the main highlight. Could have done with more of him. And uh, Alex Lawther, if anyone is a fan of um, End of the F***ing World on Netflix, he... Does a little part in this, and he's very good as well. Yeah, although he's he's given a bit of a 
hospital pass by Andy Nyman, the writer and director, because he he very much has to carry the middle segment with his manic, freaked out yeah. teenager. And I think after a bit, with the camera just resting solely on him being manic and all his his various tics and and nervousisms, it does get a bit wearing. But I, I completely agree with what you're saying. It's very overstretched, this film. There, were, there has been some suggestions that it was filmed over a weekend, and <laughs> I don't think they finished it, maybe. Yeah. I know that the ending does resolve a lot of the kind of the questions that I had midway through, but it, still. See, I had more questions than answers from the ending. I was like, I didn't really understand why they chose to end it the way they did. Mm. Uh, I could see they kind of wanted to tie everything together very neatly and have that whole sort of, you know, usual suspects, big reveal, but it didn't really work for me. I felt it was kind of insincere and, uh, yeah, just a bit a bit laboured, a bit forced. It could have been, and this won't disagree with that, a Tales of the Unexpected from back in the day, David, yeah. do you think? No, absolutely. I think one of the things that, I mean, the film has definitely got its fans, mm-hmm. I, I think maybe specifically in the kind of horror community. Uh, that's horror fans rather than, like, horrific <laughs> beings. Um, I think it really is kind of very kind of reference filled and it kind of harks back to all these classic era triptych films and little kind of um what would you call them portmanteau portmanteau films like dead of night where you get three little tall tales or um tales from the crypt or even it reminded me of a creep show which i was a big fan of no no absolutely there's almost a kind of dickensian vibe to them where you're sort of seeing these three little stories within stories and I think it's sort of trying to offer up a kind of modern day version of one of them. And you get this character played by the co-director, Andy Nyman, made alongside Jeremy Dyson. And um, he is meeting with these three people and, and visualising the situations that they were in. And you get these sort of three little kind of very different spook stories. And I think you're watching them and you're, you're as, as you guys have said, yeah, you're, you're kind of constantly questioning how are these all going to come together? What's the kind of connecting tissue? And when you eventually find out what that connecting tissue is, it is a little bit kind of... You were underwhelmed. Yeah, it didn't... Were you scared? Is it a scary movie? The segment involving Paul Whitehouse, I thought was really well done, especially because you're kind of conditioned into thinking, oh, it's Paul Whitehouse, it's going to be funny. Also because the dialogue, and this is one thing I thought was really refreshing about this film, it's very matter-of-fact, it's very uncliched. Lines like when he's introducing to the investigator, he's beginning his anecdote, he's beginning his recollections with with a line, it was quarter to four in the morning, that's a shit time of night. Yes. (laughs) But unfortunately, whilst the dialogue is, is unconventional, it is fresh, the scares were horror was, yeah. film 101. It was jump scares all the way. Mm. And uh... Paul Whitehouse plays like a, a, a caretaker of a haunted, disused mental <laughs> asylum. I mean, you, you couldn't make it up, really, could you? <laughs> and it's him hearing clanging noises in the middle distance and his radio goes all funny and he's got to go out and check. And it's, I mean, it's done pretty well. And but he's like, good. I think you're watching the film and you're watching the, the talent involved and the kind of... It's got this kind of elaborate setup at the beginning as well. And I think you expect more. Mm. You're watching and you're expecting more from each story. And then it just sort of suddenly drifts off and ends. And there's no real kind of revelation offered. I also thought the sort of um, the beings, we shall call them, uh-huh. the uh, creepy monsters were quite hokey. And uh, there's quite a few like close-ups of them and I was like this just looks like it was made in someone's garage which it probably was mm. but I don't know it didn't really it, you didn't get scared Hannah I didn't get scared I got know. really scared for the first half hour in fact the scariest part was the opening titles there's some nasty sound effects oh god yeah actually chilling. the opening t- titles did get me 
Yeah. yeah. And the first part in the uh, the old asylum I found very scary, but I'm so easily scared, and we'll come on to that when we get into Don't Look Now <laughs> right. later. But anyway, okay, so Hannah, do you want to give it some scores? Um, I think it's like a four, three, three. I was quite excited by the premise of it. I like um, Jamie Dyson and mm-hmm. Andy Nyman. I think it, it does have a lot of good things about it. And um, it's nice to see a film that feels really sort of British and specifically Yorkshire-y, mm-hmm. if that... Yeah, to coin a new word. But yeah, it just didn't really deliver what I was after. Did it? Yeah, I'd probably say similar. I mean, it's like Jeremy Dyson's involved with League of Gentlemen and there is that kind of slightly grotesque, satirical grotesqueness to it. But at the same time, I think it's it's making this plea for we're a serious horror film about serious things. And it's sort of trapped between those two worlds. Mm. It doesn't. It's, it's fi- neither fish nor fowl. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I like its ambition, but it didn't quite come together. So th- four, three, three. For okay, me. I go three, two, three. Probably three because the finale. At least I can understand that there was a narrative structure. Whereas halfway through, I was thinking, well, hang on, you haven't finished that bit off. Where are we going to now? Which was a little bit frustrating. You'll see what I mean if you see the film, which by all means do. Anyway, other options this week include another scary film. Thoroughbreds. Thoroughbreds, David. Yeah. What's going on here? Two upper-class teenage girls in suburban uh, Connecticut rekindle an unlikely friendship after years of growing apart. Together they hatch a plan to solve both of their problems no matter what the costs. That was me talking there, not reading from a script, just Wonderful. to let you know. Well, you said it really nicely. Yes. I'm really keen to see this film. Sally, I wasn't able to accompany you to the preview. I've seen it build as Heather's Meets American Psycho. Is that a fair summary? I don't tend to love those kind of X meets Y uh, <laughs> adjudications, but, yeah, you probably could say that. You could probably say that about anything, really. But Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I this, say that this, about this myself po- a lot. This podcast is, I would describe as Heather's Meets American Psycho. Right. Meets with Nell and I. Is all <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's a really impressive film. It's this guy, Corey Finley, who's an ex-journalist and uh, has written for the stage, and he has sort of come out of the traps with this quite nasty little sort of psychodrama where you've got these two very um, bitchy New England teenage girls who there is this sort of sense that they're very kind of disconnected from their peers and you know they're unsatisfied with their with their lives as well and the only kind of pleasure they get is through causing pain to other people really you compare it in your review to michael hanneke's funny games i wouldn't say it's so kind of academic as as funny games funny games is very much a kind of you, you can see the director's hands on everything and he's manipulating you in a very kind of purposeful way but this is like I guess I mean that it's nasty in a very kind of unrepentant way. Hmm, immoral it's, almost. It, it is almost immoral, and I think it's celebrating that side of the characters. I think you do maybe see a slither of empathy in, in, in what they're doing, but he he really kind of conceals it to a level that makes it actually, like, you know, they're hard to empathise with. And, and you, you know, I, I think it, it maybe makes the film a tougher sell in that, you don't necessarily come away from the film thinking like the heroes won the day or like that you were rooting for these two cool characters. Like as you maybe do for Winona the Rider and Heathers, you know, you, yeah. you, you, these characters don't really offer themselves up to you as kind of like, they're so cool. I, I admire what they're doing in their, with their lives. You know? Olivia Cook plays Amanda and Anya Taylor-Joy Lily, the, the central two, with Anton Yelchin, a central part of the film, in what was his final performance? 
Yeah. It was kind of bittersweet seeing him, because uh, when I went to see this, I didn't know he was in it, and okay. then he uh, sort of popped up on screen. Sort of strange reaction for me seeing him on screen, because... I remember watching things he was in when I was a teenager, like Charlie Bartlett, which I really liked. And uh, yeah, it was, it, it, he's he's quite good in it. I wouldn't say it's like his best role that he ever did. Hmm. He does bring that kind of scuzzy stoner charm to a role, yeah, which he, I like. You guys seen the film Green Room? Oh, I loved Green Room. He yeah. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was really, really good in Green Room. And this is a very different vibe from him. He plays this sort of uh, hapless drug dealer that they involve in their plan. But I think it reminded me a lot of Less Than Zero, which is another Brett Easton Ellis book slash terrible film starring Robert Downey Jr. And it's very laconic, very, like David said, it's very hard to sympathise with these girls. But I think that's the real credit to Olivia Cook and Anya Taylor-Joy. They're fantastic in it. And especially after watching Ready Player One, which gave Olivia Cook so little to do mm. for two hours. It was really nice to see something where she's given this real like meaty role to sink her teeth into. So Less Than Zero meets Heathers meets American Psycho meets... Funny Games. Funny Games. <laughs> it's funny. It's yeah. It's darkly funny. I don't necessarily think there's like jokes in there uh-huh. but like it's you know that is the, it gory it's a no, it's got yeah. some yeah. it's got some sort of sh- there's a violent undertow to it if you like horses it, you might want to give it a miss ah is it scary i, I don't think it's scary okay well this, this is all adding up it's to quite it. pleasing like right. it's you know it's, it's tense but i think you kind of get from the beginning where it's going i did anyway but maybe that's because I know that teenage girls are psychotic. So, right. you know, but it's, yeah, it's definitely worth seeking out. Okay. And is there anything you didn't like about it? I think that it may be the thing that maybe prevented it from getting like five stars from me is it, it's not the most original film. Hmm. It's, it, mm. it does its thing very well, but it, it maybe doesn't offer anything. I didn't watch this film and think, wow, I've never seen that before. And another film is The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Right. That's oh, it. God. Throw that, throw that. Yeah. So it's got that kind of detached, slightly ironic uh, yeah. handling, is it? Yeah, but oh, now I've just been transported back to watching that film. <laughs> that scarred me for life. Did you not like it? No, I absolutely Deer? loved it. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So, numbers, David? Uh, fours across the board for me. Oh, that's, yeah. Yeah, falls across the board. Really? We're, we're having a good week. We were agreeing on everything, David and I, so far. Well, let's <laughs> let's see what you make of A Quiet... No, actually, we can't, because you guys didn't see A Quiet Place. You know, I was going to go and see it on Monday night, and I went and saw Love, Simon instead. So A Quiet Place, I think, is officially out in the UK this Friday. But Thursday. It's, oh, it's yeah. Thursday, is it? Today. 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 <laughs> yeah, what is today as we record this? But they'd actually done one of those soft releases where it was on all over mm. London, certainly. Previously, so I, I was really intrigued by the premise. You basically plop down in a post-apocalyptic world with a family who are clearly hiding out from some unseen danger and being very careful about not making a noise. And it emerges that the terror that they face that has brought about the kind of downfall of civilization are these alien hunters who hunt by sound. So they have evolved a kind of year or so on into this new reality. Is that a spoiler? No. No. Okay. So they've evolved a kind of soundless way of living. They've poured sand all over the place to muffle their footsteps. They've managed to try and iron out any of the kind of noisy things they might normally do. But a slight complication in this is that the mother of this family, Emily Blunt, is pregnant and about to give birth, which generally speaking is one of the more it's towards the noisy end of the spectrum as regards human <laughs> activities so there's that it's a high concept film it's very much a one act film this watching it there are 
elements in it you think oh i wonder where they're going to go with that and the answer is nowhere they just this is the bit you get this is the little window you get we're not going through the window looking out either side you're just going to see this bit and as such it's quite a satisfying film because it's only i think 70 or 80 minutes long which is great it does what it came to do and then at least i would say that it it drops off my score a little bit at the end because there are a couple of gaps in the plot that when you look at them logically, you think, well, hang on, surely, but and how about this and why not that? But in terms of a neat little horror pitched on a certain narrative device, how will you get through life if you can't make a, a, a sound? It, it's, it's very effective. Were you scared? Because I know you scare easy. I do scare easy. I, the answer is no. I was mildly tense, I think. It sounds to me from your description, it reminds me of that film... Did you ever see the film Pitch Black? Oh yeah, with, with Vin Diesel. Yes, I did. Where they have to kind of it's get, better than Pitch get Black. Through the Pitch Black. But yeah, I, I see you with the aliens who can see exactly. In the dark, so. There's a certain kind of physical condition which you have to get past that, and if you mm. can do that, then you'll be okay. But yeah, I mean, go and see it, listeners, and then we can have a conversation on Twitter about for me what was the big question about well, why did nobody etc. <laughs> yeah. By the way, Brian Woods and Scott Beck's original screenplay only contained one line of dialogue. Oh, that would have been cool. That would have been amazing. So I'm going to give it 343, because at the time I was caught up in it, and it was only afterwards that went, or maybe in the last five minutes, that was a little bit hang on there. But yeah, perfectly decent thriller. Now, it features, by the way, Emily Blunt. Her husband, John Krasinski, also directed... Noah Jupe, who plays the son of the family, and Millicent Simmons, who's the daughter who is deaf, as is Millicent Simmons. And she actually appears in another film we're reviewing this week, Wonderstruck. And we'll get onto that after I read out this from the little white mailbag, courtesy of Rory. Oh, you're a fan of making comparisons, David. He draws a line between Isle of Dogs and the 1981 classic Escape from New York with a fantastic Kurt Russell on song. So many elements... Reminded me of Manhattan in 1997. Looking into the future, both were rat-infested, dystopic trash islands with society's blemish banished forevermore with the future idea of ultimately a painful death. There's a glider and a mini-plane that endure a mild crash landing in both with the protagonist surviving after piloting. You could even go so far, says Rory, as to look at Snake's eye patch in conjunction with Atari's black eye or Chief's broken eye at different points. What do you make of that? Wow, he's gone deep. On that one. Oh, it's Wes Anderson. here. <laughs> <laughs> Legal. <laughs> Rory would also like to add the John Carpenter soundtrack to Cool Capital Calling Card, uh, I think he means Escape from New York, uh, to our film club list. A film of actually of, of Carpenter's that I want to go back and see is Assault on Precinct 13. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Astonishing. The original one. That's, that's funny, actually. I, wanted, I went to see Isle of Dogs again this weekend, oh. and... Um, Wes Anderson has said that one of his big inspirations was Akira Kurosawa. Right. And the listeners might not know, they might know, but the Kurosawa actually made this kind of career-killing film in the 80s called Dodeskaden. Like, he was making all these amazing uh, samurai films and action films with Toshiro Mifune, and they kind of split up, and then he had a... He had a bit of a kind of... He stopped making films for a while. Mm -hmm. A sabbatical? Sabbatical, yeah. And then he came back with this weird comedy set on a dump. And it was various eccentric characters going about their days living on this dump in Japan. And it was a massive flop. But it's it's kind of fascinating to see now. And it, it's it's got this kind of quirky sense of humour. And 
I'm pretty sure Wes Anderson must have given that a squiz before making Island Interesting. Dogs. Interesting. How many times have you seen it so far, Hannah? I've only seen it once. Because you were very much five out of five for this, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. I saw this in Berlin when it came out, and I think I, I still... It's still like a five-star movie for me, but I think I'm a bit worn out of all the kind of discourse mm. around it. Maybe you should go and so. see it at the Picture House in Clapham, where I think is one of the many places that they did dog screenings. Yeah. You know where they... Uh, they our you colleague went to the dog screening, yeah. oh, and, and he said that apparently... Do you know the bit with Harvey Keitel's dog going, ooh... Did all the dogs all go? The dogs all the dogs went, went oh. So, yeah, I heard that when the film started, they were all wrapped. They gazed wrapped I'd at like screens. And when to... the rats came on, they went crazy. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, apparently so. I'd like to go to a cat screening of it, just, to see, just to see how they react. They won't react, though. They're cats. <laughs> they don't react They'll just curl anything. a lip at, at the... Uh... Yeah, well, that's fascinating. Well done, cinemas. Wonder you could do that as, you know, theme your screening. Finding Nemo would be exceptional. A lot of people with kind of big... Yeah, bowls of yeah. water and, uh, yeah we'll move on uh, Wonderstruck up next Wonderstruck which is the new one from Todd Haynes which is always an exciting thing this essentially takes two parallel stories and weaves them together they ultimately converge I don't think it's giving too much away is it? no to say that one in, is from 1927 at the dawn of the talkies and young Rose, played by Millicent Simmons, runs away to New York City in search of the silent screen star Lillian Mayhew. Then in 1977, 50 years on, a young fellow called Ben, who's just become deaf after being struck by lightning. Yeah, I'm worried about that. Is that, okay. is that a thing that can happen? I don't know. Down the, does it go down the telephone line? It does go down the yeah. telephone line. Yeah, that couldn't happen Into, today. You get, so he gets struck by lightning in his ear. In his ear. And then he, he runs away to New York to search for... A father that he never knew. <laughs> it's a curious film. It's, I would say, partly unsuccessful, but it does have some extraordinary moments in it. What did you think, David? Oh, no, I, I, I totally agree with what you're saying there. I mean, it's like, with Todd Haynes, I think you don't really... Ex- like, I mean, on, fr- from the outset, it looks like a kind of magical family kids mm. movie. And, and I'm sure that, that people you know, selling this film may want you to think that. And it's absolutely not that at all <laughs> it maybe has elements of a very kind of idiosyncratic and prone to weirdness director trying to make that type of movie i mean to give a bit of context actually it's brian selznick wrote um hugo cabaret which is the film that martin scorsese made hugo on um and I'm, i actually love hugo and i think it's probably superior to this film in, in that it's got a slightly simpler structure it's this kind of very strange hipster kids movie that has all these incredible moments the elements of the the filmmaking the costume design the production design the music the way it's all filmed the way the silent elements are kind of constructed and the performance by Julianne Moore for instance and and the two young leads all the elements are there and yet it never quite comes together and yeah it's wonderful moments in search of a of a kind of wider purpose i guess and like which is kind of weird in that, you know, it, it is a film about these two people who are searching for the wider purpose of their lives and they, they f- kind of find it in an obscure way. But yeah, it leaves a little kind of like, there's a sort of so what element to it. Do you think it would have benefited from a slightly straighter telling? No, I, I'm not sure how you could tell this story in a straight way. I mean, it, it, well, there it, is a... it is what it is, I guess. Um, right. It's funny because previous films of his, Carol, certainly in Far From Heaven, 
largely because those, I think, are the only two I've, I've seen. Um, <laughs> tonally, they're quite of a piece. He doesn't mm. make wild shifts between one style well, and another. He did. I'm not. I'm not there, which was. Pretty, oh, I didn't see that. Oh, really, really good, but pretty out there. But okay. I, so yeah. that like this does this shifting from one style of movie one God, time yeah. to another. Yeah. Right. But okay. that I think he does it really well. This I don't think okay. he does it quite as well. What did you not like, Hannah? I I just didn't really care. Um, it was very flowery and very flourishy and lots of intricate things. But it sort of felt like going to a museum where they haven't really curated it very well mm. and so there's just things everywhere and you're like okay well wh where do I start with this what, what am I meant to be looking at and the only things that I really really liked were the kids in it I thought they were brilliant I love the dioramas there's some great yes. work with the dioramas yeah but it's interesting what you say about the museums because that's clearly a thing that the 70s, mm. for example, in this film is treated very much as a museum. And there's this almost heavy handed use of 70s music. Every time we cut to the 70s, you must have a big slab of Thuspex <laughs> or whatever. It does have one of my all time fantasies as a child was to like live in a museum. And it has this whole thing where they go and live, like the kids go and live in a museum. Which museum would you have lived in? Uh -huh. Well, it would have been like the London Museum of Natural History. Because okay. like, to me as a kid, that was the best place in the right. world. Right. This, like this is basically. Museum? But this is yes. basically the film <laughs> yeah. of that dream. Yeah, it is. Maybe I just wanted like two hours of kids just like getting up to some hijinks in a museum. Maybe I would have preferred that. The thing, yeah, there the is thing a Ben Stiller film that you're really going to enjoy. <laughs> There's many of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing for me. It felt very strange where like this this kid who is apparently doing this wondrous thing by sneaking around in the back rooms of a museum and having all these kind of curiosities and cabinets and drawers and things that he can look through and it's when he gets to the museum it's really boring <laughs> they do anything the kid's there, kind of him. a dick as well like, <laughs> so Millicent Simmons character Rose yeah. is like really sweet and lovely but Oakes Fregley who I really liked in Peach Dragon uh, okay. by the way is the yeah the young boy who is turned deaf by lightning and he's just kind of a dick like is he yeah to the friend he makes oh yeah he yeah is. he's he, yeah there's this other kids helping him out and trying to like mm. help him find his dad and he's just a dick to him yeah like, I wouldn't you know I've <laughs> yeah <laughs> strong words Hannah okay uh, well what numbers would you like to give this oh I think it's like a four three two maybe really yeah just. I expect more from Todd uh, mm. from Todd Haynes, you know. After Carol, which I loved so much, yeah. this was a major disappointment. Yeah, and I, I think I would agree with you on the four because the premise of it sounded really interesting as well, this notion of parallel journeys to the same city mm. by people with similar conditions, but 50 years apart sounded really, really intriguing. And the yeah, there's something tonally about it which never draws you in, I guess. But there are some, some moments of, yeah, three and maybe a... Three. I feel the same. I mean, I, I love Todd Haynes, and I think Carol's in incredible. And I think with with his best films like Carol and and, and uh, Far From Heaven, he, there is a slightly kind of literary construct to them, and 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 he's using these kind of modes of filmmaking and genre to sort of maybe step back slightly. And I think with this film, it kind of requires him to be a little bit more earnest and sincere and emotional. I just don't think. He kind of fakes it in a in quite an obvious way here, and and it, and it never gets under your skin. I'd say four three three because I actually would like to quite see it again. I was more like disappointed that maybe I didn't get the film rather than like that I got it and didn't like it. Okay, having given this three, I want to give an, an extra half now to a quiet place because I realised that was a three as well. And I, 
of the two, you would take this. Yeah. No, I would take a quiet place. Yeah. Sorry, yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, let's move on to Film Club then, which this week, excitingly, is Don't Look Now. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. That plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I've seen your little girl, and she was laughing. Yes, my sister's psychic. She wants you to know. I've seen her, and she wants you to know that she's happy. My daughter is dead, Laura. She does not come peeping with messages back from behind the grave. Yes. Christine is dead. Yes. She is dead. Yes. Dead, 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 dead. Can I come out now? Wow. The very creepy. Don't look now. 1973, Nicholas Rogue. Adapting Daphne du Maurier's work, she wrote him a letter, apparently. This is fabulous. After seeing the film, congratulating him on making such a strong film from her story. When was the last time you heard of an author congratulating a director on the adaptation? I was just thinking that's like the opposite of uh, Ken Kesey yeah. <laughs> with uh, One Flow the Cookie's Nest. How great to get a letter from her as well. Really, yeah. yeah. Must have been... Anyway, voted number one in Time Out's list of the best British films. This was uh, voted on by the... Film industry, it just says. Not sure who in the film industry. I actually did that poll. Did I, you? I, when I was working at Time Out. No so, way, David. Um, I was uh, instrumental in helping that. What was number two? One. Be like Pound, <laughs> Pressburger, Matter of Life and Death, something like that? Yeah, something like that. Okay. With Nell. All right. Now, a question that I raised when we mentioned last week we were doing this was the sex scene, which I'd always heard. I mean, the great urban legend about this film was that they were actually doing, doing it. it and the cameras rolled. But I read that this scene was actually the first time that Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie met and Nicholas Rogue filmed it first to get it out of the way so it wouldn't be kind of hanging over them. So which version is true? Were they at it, David Jenkins? 
I don't know. It's it's one of those urban legends that you just want to leave be and okay. you only watch it and decide for yourself. The scene itself is so kind of magnificent that you kind of think yeah. it's better to have that kind of did they, didn't they conundrum when, yeah. when you finish it. Listeners, if you didn't catch this, you really should. It's the story of a married couple played by Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie grieving the recent death of their young daughter who travelled to Venice so that he can do some restoration work on a church there which is busy tumbling into the lagoon. It just so happens they go there while there's also a serial killer on the loose. And a series of premonitions starts presaging something really, really dark. Now, when we look at listeners' comments here, Willem Birmingham says, How come AC Jimbo didn't tell the whole tale about why he screamed at the end of Don't Look Now? I'm not sure if Will was there at the ICA that day, but basically... I screamed just before the scary bit at the end. So everybody in the cinema turned around and looked at me and missed the denouement. Oh, so I blew Don't Look Now for a, for an entire theatre full of people. Why did, why did you scream, though? Because is it just the blind before... sister goes, let him not go, and puts a hand out like that, and I just freaked. Yeah, but bear in mind, I also <laughs> stood out, out of my seat and screamed during Pee Wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> It was a similar time in my life. I think I was very jumpy. The bit where Large Marge reveals herself, and when they dragged her body from the wreckage, it looked like this cue effect. Oh, wow. And I swallowed my <laughs> tub of popcorn. Uh, someone called High Contrast said, I love the editing. Rogue is one of the few to pick the baton from Eisenstein. Score is a fave too. Well, what does that mean? Also, I mean, the editing is, he does this kind of impressionistic, intuitive editing where he's like, you know, as you watch it, he, he's connecting images together and colours together. It's not like the story is the thing. It's like, let's just move through this film in a kind of impressionistic way. Let's, right. let's link red to red and this figure to this figure and this building to this building and and... Rogue is kind of known for that for all of his kind of films like Walkabout, Man mm. Who Fell to Earth, um, etc. Et you get that great Hitchcock reference where he cuts the scream into the sound of the drill in this oh, as yes. well. Oh, yeah. yes. And the score is by um, Pino Donaggio. He's sort of well, really well known for doing these kind of almost sort of like weird, eerie, folky kind of scores with like flutes and instruments you wouldn't expect to hear in horror movies i mean his other really famous score is the score for carrie um which is like this kind of swooning score but like you're you know and you're watching the film and it's horrible and like the same for here like you you know it's this very disarming quite sort of ethereal score and it just makes the whole film seem even more terrifying i think Hmm. Uh, joseph Alden, one of the best ever i can't think of any other horror film that summons up such a powerfully bleak cold and sad atmosphere Mm. Nick McGuffin says one of the great horror films of our time. Now, a couple of people write in saying that they found the ending funny. I laughed out loud at the ending, says Paul Maloney. Which, can you see how that would happen? I mean, if you're yeah, in a cinema with now, me, maybe. Maybe. maybe people watching it now. I don't think it would have been funny at the time. No. I didn't think it was funny. I can see now... But you saw it for the first time yeah. for this. Yeah, I did. But I already knew how it ended because okay. I'd seen um, Richard Ayoade's Submarine which has a scene where they kind of riff on the end of Don't Look Now. Oh, I'd forgotten that. Yeah. Well, That's he, a great film. Great film. And he's on the beach looking for his girlfriend. And I actually get really annoyed when people say they find like classic horror films funny. Yeah. And I think it's a real kind of trying to sort of act, act front and act tough about it. I went to see The Exorcist in 2000 or 1999 when it was re-released. Mm-hmm. And I gathered up all my sort of school friends to go and see it at the Prince Charles Cinema. And... Um, 
I was really kind of like shocked by it because this is when it was still very much this kind of monolithic, X-rated, scariest film of all time. Yeah. And I remember coming out afterwards and they were all like, oh my God, it was so funny. It looks so terrible. Oh my God. It just, oh. And you burned and, with and indignation. I was just like, I think that says a lot about you. I think they're hiding some sort of deep-seated emotions there. What and was it they found so funny? The, the projectile vomiting? Oh, the, yeah. The, the head just, going just, around? Like they were laughing at a scene that is is often considered to be the sort of most disturbing moment of the film, which you kind of you have to engage with the ideas of the, the mother and daughter. Is to, it the crucifix? Uh, it involves the crucifix, yeah. yeah. And they were audibly laughing during wow. that. And it was quite... Boys. This I almost think there could be a horror film about me going back to kill all those people for laughing at this. I tell you what, listeners, don't touch. That's no. ours. <laughs> That's a brilliant premise. That's, let's do that. I know what you saw last summer, that yes, kind of thing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Jimbo Holdings. <laughs> there are some films, there are some like iconic horror films that people do feel it's okay to kind of just be like, oh, I wasn't scared. Like The Shining is another one that yeah. a lot of people are like, oh, I thought it was funny. But that's a weird one because there's films like The Texas Chainsaw Massacre and The Shining, which I think The Shining's meant to be funny. And and, and also the Texas Chainsaw the, Massacre. Right. The end of The Shining's meant to be funny. I think so, they're yeah, genuinely I mean, like very scary bits of the Shining. Oh, no, no, I agree. And Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah, yeah. I, I've read things on The Shining where people argue that it's a comedy. <laughs> the end kind of fits with that, no? The... Yeah. I didn't, I, I didn't, uh... Looping back to Don't Look Now, I think yes. what, what, what <laughs> it's this kind of study of grief and a, and a couple coming mm. to terms with their child like drowning and dying. And with that context, there's not really anything in the film. I don't think Nick Rowe makes any real funny films. I mean, I, I can't think of a moment... Like, if you think of the films he's made... Eureka, bad timing. There's, there's no funny stuff in Nick no. Rogue films. When has Nick Rogue ever been funny? I'm not sure. I've not seen Eureka. That's the Marilyn Monroe. No, I, that's I Insignificance, which is oh, incredible. Right. That's, that's not funny? That's quite funny, but okay. in a sort of weird way, because it is, it is all couched in the apocalypse. So, so not so much. What about he, Eureka? What's that? Eureka's really, really dark. It's a kind of like his take on on a sort of Citizen Kane story okay. with um, Gene Hackman as an oh. oil prospect. It's very, very much influenced for There Will Be Blood. Right. Ooh. So, um, yeah, Ooh. but it's really Future dark. film club, perhaps. Possibly, yeah. Yeah. One other detail about this, Renato Scarpa, who plays Inspector Longhi, with a particularly chilling performance, apparently he didn't speak any English, so he just read out the lines he'd been given without knowing what they meant, which adds to the sinister quality of his character. It's a great <laughs> idea, amazing. isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I just wanted to say, because we, we were kind of talking about this earlier, and it's on here, in fact. Um, the Italian title of this film is brilliant. Oh, Italian um, titles of films are so bad, but do get, go on. No, I'll get, get, get you to read it, since you are the expert. It's there. Ah, OK. A Venezia, un dicembre rosso, shocking. So that's uh, <laughs> it's so in good. Venice... Because Rosso shocking, it'd be, it's a kind of red. It's like shock red. Shocking red. Yeah, yeah so in Venice, a, a shock red December in, in Venice. Yeah, they, when they translate titles, they, they often come out a little bit less effective. Don't look now, you'd think. Yeah. The German one's Sim even better, simple. I have to say. Uh, Wenn die Gondolen trauer tragen. Wow, that does which, sound scary. Uh, which means when gondolas wear grief. Well, yeah, which that is, works. Uh, and is that all one word, can I ask? Uh, no, no. Okay. <laughs> that's not like a you know a, a compound. German no, <laughs> compound okay. word. Airplane, for example, which is a pretty simple title, came out in Italian as "L'aereo più pazzo del mondo," the craziest airplane in the world. <laughs> you see, if I had to go and see airplane or the craziest airplane in the world, I know where I'm headed. 
Ah, good. Where are we headed for Film Club next week? So we're we're headed to uh, the Old West via Italy. Um, okay. And we're, we're going to be looking at Sergio Leone's A Fistful of Dollars. Right. So catch up on that if you and can. why is that? Because one of the films we're going to be covering is this really great movie called Western. Mm. It's, it's set in Bulgaria and it's uh, directed by the German uh, female director Valeska Griesbeck. Okay. This film is very much a kind of like impressionistic Western and this oh. one's a very kind of classical one. It's also getting a, a kind of re-release as okay. well. So what, the after, cinematic one? Cinematic one, after the podcast. So if you don't happen to catch up on it or have it fresh in your mind, there will be an opportunity to go and see it on the big screen. Brilliant. Nice one. So that's one film we're doing next week. I do hope we're also going to do Rampage. I believe so. All right. You're all, you're all, but you're both looking at me. I, I, uh taken on the mantle as the official Dwayne Johnson expert in our office now. Uh-huh. I, I've decided I'm that expert. Excellent. That's great. It's just. Have you seen Rampage? No, no. They, hopefully you're going to see it. Tuesday morning. But well, I, I, I'm not yeah. sure you're qualified because you didn't realise that it was based on a 90s, 80s, 90s... Uh, yeah, it was based on a video game video before game. I was born. Is yeah. that a video game? Yeah. Rampage. About okay. fighting Is, giant monkeys. No, 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 no. You are the giant. You monkeys, are the giant monkey. And you well, have you have to race to destroy a city before like the soldiers and the little helicopters shoot you. Okay, down. Well, in the film, Dwayne plays Dwayne, against type yeah. as not the giant monkey, and no. he leaps onto a building from a. A helicopter or something? In the Leaps trailer, he is friends with the monkey. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of like um, Mighty Joe Young. Ah, nice. Well, we'll yeah. find out more next week, hopefully, along with Western and, as you say, A Fistful of Dollars. Yes. Do get watching A Fistful of Dollars and let us know your thoughts or on anything else you want to talk about. The address is truthandmovies at tcolondon.com or you can find us on Twitter at LWLies. Or there's the Facebook page and the Little White Lies website. Anything else, Hannah, before we wrap up for this week? Go and see Thoroughbreds. Yeah, be my, well, I'm going uh, take to. Yeah. yeah, David? Yeah, I would say, I would, I would uh, co sign on that. I don't think it's getting the biggest release. No, possible, it's not. It's not but... getting a very big release, so see it whilst you can. But that's this week's winner then, Thoroughbreds. I would yeah. say so. Yeah. Okay, excellent. Listeners, thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, this has been a seven digital production. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.